I don't really know where we're going to go tonight. Like, I know where we're going to go. I just don't know how far we're going to make it. I have, this week, I've just been learning so, so much. It's just been like, wow, just overloading me with all the information and all the things I've been learning. And so I have like five sermons, like there's probably like five sermons within here. But uh, we'll just see how far we make it. And we'll see how it plays out. Because there's a lot. But I'm excited. Holy Spirit. Awesome. Last week, well, we're on... Oh, yeah, I forgot that was still on, actually. Just turn that off. Anyways, last week, um, we were uh, talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant. And it's kind of been in this whole journey as we start to uh, kind of start to learn to seek out the prophets and prophecy because Paul says, you know, desire spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. And he says, I wish that you would all would prophesy. And God says that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh and that your sons and daughters will prophesy. And I believe we are in the last days since the moment of Pentecost. And, and we were talked about kind of the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant and all the differences. And I might clarify just a few things. There, there's so much more than what I just talked about. Uh, there's, but we just got to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, I talked about how in the, the, the Old Covenant, the perspective, it, for what it was, it was perfect right? It was, it was created to reveal that everyone was sinful and we needed a Savior, right? I think we get that, basically. Is that, that you could never be good enough, you could never earn it enough, you could never do all the just right stuff. We needed a Savior. We needed somebody to bring us into the kingdom because we couldn't work ourselves into it, right? That was the whole purpose. And the whole purpose of the prophets was to reveal that, in, whether it be the nations or the cities, that they would, you know, they would bring condemnation and they would and declare that, all right, well, you know, you've sinned and you've done this stuff. And it, was, and it was for the purpose of showing that you need a Savior. You can't be good enough. And it, that, and it was all pointing to Jesus. And that's why it, it was good, because we need that. But in the new covenant, Jesus comes along and he is showing there's a new shift because this covenant is greater than the last. And the last one had good promises, but these ones have amazing promises. And so Jesus has come along, and a lot of what he does is actually revealing what, how this new covenant works. He's laying the new foundation. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? He came to fulfill it. But he also came, and he was like, I want to show you what you're about to step into. And so a lot of times, you know, he would go, hey, I know you've heard that you hate your enemies and you love those who love you, but I'm telling you, you need to love those who hate you. You need to love those who persecute you. You need to love those that uh, despise you and, and use you. Like he was laying the foundation and the work for the rules of this new covenant. He was going, I know that's the way it was because most of the old covenant was based off that, right? David was amazing because he killed the guy that hated God, Goliath. You know, they would go and they would, you know, they killed the Philistines and all these things. 
And that was that purpose. But Jesus comes along and he goes, all right, this new covenant, look, I'm showing you a new thing. And it's kind of an interesting aspect if you realize that Jesus was revealing New Testament truths to Old Testament-minded people. And that's why they killed him. Because they didn't understand what covenant he was talking about. And so, there's, there's so much to that. But, and so in, 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 in the new covenant, now what do we do? We have been given the job of reconciliation. Right? Our job is actually to reconcile people. That is our job. Before, that wasn't it. But we've been given this new purpose and this new job. So when we prophesy, we're not actually prophesying for the same motives or reasons. Before, it was to show your sin, to show you've fallen short, and to reveal that. And now, it's actually to show that you've been reconciled and that this is how you can be reconciled and that you were created for a different purpose. And so we actually prophesy from a different perspective, right? And, anyways, I'm not going to say that, but now I want to make the definition is that what I'm not saying is all we give is fluffy, cute words to people and we're only like happy positiveness and like we never say anything. Like, that's not what I'm saying. We have to address the things that are wrong, but we address them through a different perspective, right? Because in Romans, Paul says, the goodness of God leads men unto repentance. And he says that in the last days, people will fear God for his goodness. That's a crazy amount of goodness. And so instead of us going, oh, I, you got all this sin, you got all this stuff in you, you know, you're just a terrible sinner, you need to repent. Well, anybody can tell them that. That's nothing new. And that's not revealing goodness because the goodness of God actually leads people unto repentance. Right? And so, in, and I was, and last uh, Monday I was thinking about all these things. And I was thinking about that perspective. You know, people are like, and you know, you'll have these conversations with people. They're like, oh, well, you know, I'm just a prophet. I'm just speaking truth. And yeah, it's hard, and people don't like me, and all stuff like that. And they're just like, oh, this, you know, this city's going to fall off into the ocean because of this or whatever, and this bad thing's going to happen, or they're just sinful, and well, I'm just speaking the truth, right? But the fact of the matter is, as I go, no, here's the deal. I don't, yeah, you're speaking the truth, but whose truth are you speaking? Yeah, that's the devil's truth about the person or the situation, but what is the true truth? Right? I don't deny what you're talking about. I just deny it the ability to be my truth. Anybody get what I'm saying? Think about it. If they go, this is what I see. It's the sin, it's the stuff, and that's the truth, and so I'm going to speak it. I'm like, well, sure. That's your truth because that's what you see but I don't let what I see determine what is actually supposed to be. Right? That's not truth. That's the devil's truth. 
oh yeah, well they're addicted to pornography or drugs or, or they're just living in sin or all this stuff. Well yeah, that's the devil's truth and that's what he's speaking. And when you speak that, you're just agreeing with him on that perspective on their life. But what is the question for when I prophesy in a new covenant mindset is, what is God's original truth about this person? What is God's original truth about this nation, about this city, or about this situation? What is the original truth? Because he thought of people before he even created the world, so he had a good plan for them. So we have to go back to the beginning and say, what did God say, and what is God saying about this person? And that is truth. The truth is not what we see. It is what God says. Right? That is the perspective. So anytime that person's all like, oh, well, I'll just speak the truth. Okay, you're good at speaking the truth. But that's not God's truth. Right? So in John, uh, on Monday, I was sitting with God and I was thinking about these things. And, uh, and, he, and he just, he told me, he says, go to John uh, 3.17, not 3.16, 17. And it, and it says, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. And I thought about that. And then I thought, oh wait, 1 John 4.17. So you got John 3.17, uh, and then you've got 1 John 4.17. What does 4.17 say? It says, because as he is, so are we in the world. Think it through. Jesus came and he came. I didn't come to actually condemn the world. They're already condemned. I came to actually bring solutions and a salvation to this world. And now, 1 John 4, 17 says, as Jesus is, that's you to the world. So it's not actually our job to bring condemnation. It's our job to bring solutions right? It's our job to actually bring solutionary tactics to the world. That is our purpose. Because there is the day of judgment, but we are in the glorious days of the Lord. Oh, poor demo. We're in, so, you know, in Acts, remember it, it uh, quotes Joel and it says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all people, on all flesh, right? It doesn't say I, I want to pour out my spirit on the people that earn it or be good enough. It says I want to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he's saying, I don't care who it is, I want to pour my spirit out on them. I want the whole world to see my glory, and then with Peter, he had to re reprogram his mind. Remember the vision with Peter where the sheet comes down and there's all the unclean animals and, and he goes, eat. And he goes, no, I'm not going to eat. I don't do that stuff. And he goes, okay. And it happens like three times and he goes, dude, don't call unholy what I call holy. Is that what it's saying is in this new covenant, Jesus is saying, I paid the ultimate price for my people. So don't call them unholy anymore. Because in the Old Covenant, there was holy, I mean, there was unclean, there was basic clean, and then there's holy. But the veil was torn in the temple so that that most holy thing could go out into the world. And he's saying, I paid for these people. So I would ask the question, we better be really, really careful what we say prophetically and non-prophetically about the people that Jesus paid the ultimate price for. 
and he doesn't call them, oh, well, they're just living in sin, so we feel like we can talk bad about them. Who cares if they're living in sin? They're just a pre-Christian. If they're living in sin and you think you can talk bad about them or whatever, that, Jesus paid the ultimate price for that person. And he doesn't call them unclean anymore. It's just that they have not accepted that un, uh, their cleanliness. And so we are supposed to bring solutions into this world because God calls them clean and he loves them and he wants us to prophesy from the perspective of revealing his goodness into the world and re revealing the true truth about him. Right? So, I want to... Uh, that's kind of review. <laughs> There's the introduction. So I, I thought I was thinking about this aspect this week. I think Desiree and I were talking about it, and it came up. Is that in the old covenant, you had to earn your place into acceptance? Okay. So you were unclean. And you had to do this and this and this and this and this and then you could be clean and then you could be accepted by God, right? You know? And it was trying to show and reveal, look, you can't, you, you can't be everything. You need a Savior. You need somebody. And it was showing that. But you had to work yourself into acceptance with Him. It was, a, it was basically, you had to perform yourself, careful, you had to perform yourself into acceptance. Right? That was, that, that was the way. God was like, you have to follow all this stuff and you have to do all these things and then I can accept you. And I think that we don't realize that in the new covenant we've been positionally brought into acceptance, not worked in for acceptance. And I think a lot of the church doesn't fully understand that. You know what I'm saying? Is that in the old covenant it was like, okay, you got to work yourself in and you got to do all this stuff and then you can be finally accepted. And the problem is, Jesus goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that old man and I'm just going to kill him off. I'm going to make a new one and that one's going to be perfect. So I don't have to work that thing into perfection. It's already perfect and I already accept it. It is positionally accepted instantly. And so you are positioned into the family of God and you don't have to work into it. You've been brought into... And so this new covenant is a covenant of freedom. Because we've been positionally brought in. But here's the deal. I think a lot of the church still functions out of an old covenant mindset where you've got to perform yourself in and then you can be accepted and then we let you into our group and all this stuff, right? So here's the deal. Oh, I don't know how to say this correctly without it sounding wrong. So, yeah, I know, I know. But, so here's the deal. We, uh, we are now accepted into the family of God, right? We don't have to perform our ways into it. But often we do the exact same things, but with different motives. See, Paul says in, um, where does he say it? Oh, maybe I didn't write it down. Pretty sure it's, uh, 
Corinthians. No, it's Romans. It's Romans. It's like Romans 3 or something like that. I can see it. Anyways, you know, you'll understand what I'm saying. That when, remember when Paul in Romans, he goes, okay, guys, you no longer are slaves to sin and you're no longer slaves to the law. You're free because of grace. But then he goes, but should you keep sinning so that grace may abound? Of course not. You don't do that. What he was saying is, you have so much freedom that you're not a slave to that anymore, but you don't just go out there and start sinning just because you're free. It's because you're free that you can follow this. It's because you're free that you can fulfill this because of grace. So they're actually doing the same things that the law was having you do, but we're doing it from a different position. Let me give you like a really, uh, let's just do like a down-to-earth like example. So, because Desiree and I are talking about this and it was, so like, you know, in church, when you go into like worship or something like that, like I'm talking like a, this is a normal church of, you know, you got your three songs, you got your sermon, and then we go home kind of church, right? So when you come in, you know, obviously, you know, you stare ahead, you don't walk around, you don't get on your phone, you don't be disrespectful, you do all this stuff, right? And you know, and we all know that when we walk into those settings, that's the rules, right? But it's based, uh, and a lot of it is based off the perspective of, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then, then you know, you perform just enough and you're accepted here. You're a good Christian, right? So they, they, they conform you by uh, performance. And we get that, right? Okay, so I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I don't do this and I don't do this and that's I'm a, I'm a good Christian, right? But then, so like, when, and then I've, I've seen it. It's so funny. When we come in here, we're like, we want to have freedom. We want to be totally free. We want to just... We don't, we want all the freedom. And then we get in here and we don't know how, we don't have a clue what to do. We are so free, we don't know how to worship. Because we are no longer being confounded in by performance. We have so much, we are so free that we're just like, I don't know what to do. Right? Poor girl. (laughs) So we come in here and we don't know what to do because we're so free. But here's the deal. I keep saying here's the deal so much tonight. I don't know why. It's annoying me too. But um, we come in here, and what we don't realize is when we come in, we've got so much freedom that we just are like, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to worship because there's no rules, and we're just like, woo, we're like a bunch of you know, kids running the line like crazy, right? But in reality, instead of doing these actions or not getting on your phone or not being loud or not whatever not you know is that that was performance so that you could be good enough but now you do those exact same things but you do it for the purpose of hosting his presence you know what i'm saying now and so it's just like what paul was saying we are so free that we can do whatever we want but we're actually going to do the same things that we did before, but we're going to do it for different reasons. We're, we're not going to walk around. We're not going to be distracting. We're not going you know, to get on our phone. We're not going to be these things. Not because, and now we don't have to perform for it, so we're just like, oh, I can do whatever I want. But in reality is that we go, no. 
there is an important person that's coming into the room, and that's Jesus. And I'm actually not going to do these things. I am actually going to choose to do these things with my own motives out of love for him to host his presence when he comes in. And that is a perfect example of old covenant to new covenant because before you had to at work and do all these things but now in this new covenant you have so much freedom but you actually go no i'm not going to do these things i'm not going to live in this sin i'm not going to say these things i'm not going to do this stuff not for the same reasons anymore i'm already clean i'm already holy i am he sees jesus when he sees me but i'm going to do these things because i love him and because i love him i follow his commandments and i actually do this out of a perspective of i want to host his presence on me and so i live differently so from the outside nobody would know the difference except for our hearts So we're 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 free but it's kind of it's kind of funny it's like oh yeah it's basically the same we're doing the same thing but we're doing different motives and it does have different results though and that's the difference so yes yeah because before holy you know in other situations holy spirit can only be one thing in this certain situation, but now that we actually host him, he has freedom as well to be as what he wants. It changes the whole dynamic. It releases Holy Spirit. It releases all these great things. It, it is very, very different in what actually happens, but a lot of times our foundational actions release us into these breakthrough spiritual things. So in the prophetic, and this is how I'm going to tie it back around. In the prophetic, I'm going to tie it back around. Of it, The prophetic's the same way now. We are incredibly free in the prophetic. We are incredibly free. And we actually have so much freedom, sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Right? And I want to start from this. Uh, okay, we're going we're gonna to transition the gears just a smidgen here. So think about this. This, apply, this is going to apply to what we're going to talk about, but it's going to apply to everything. But we've got to lay this foundation. Jesus lives inside of us, right? Can we all, we all basically agree on that, right? Holy Spirit's been released inside of us. You know, it, you know in 2 Corinthians, it talks about how Paul says, don't, Corinthians, don't you guys know that Jesus is within you, right? We have that perspective. He's literally in us. We're seated in heavenly places. We're kings and we're priests. We have all that we need in Christ, Right? We have Holy Spirit's teacher and comforter and all this stuff. We all agree on that. So here's the deal. Why does it seem like a lot of times when we read the Word, we're actually trying to, trying to get what the Word says when we don't realize that it's already been inside of us? And instead of trying to get what the Word says, we actually just release what's inside. Everybody doesn't get it. Okay, so <laughs> here's the deal. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men. The Word was in the beginning and was with God. But now Jesus is inside of us. The Word is inside of us. The hope of glory resides inside of us. 
then why does it look like, why does it, when we read something in the Bible, we're like, oh, I need to try to go get that and attain that. I need that. It's inside of you. You just need to release it. But, and you, but I can tell you, it's not instantly released. Obviously, look at the Christians around us. I'm just saying, not speaking about anybody, okay? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, most of the time, it's actually not trying to attain what the Word says. It's just removing the hindrances to the Word. Thank you. I'm going to start talking to this side. So, <laughs> this side gives me better responses. I like this side. Let's try this again. I like this. All right. Uh, I'll give you guys another chance. Okay, so. Too early. Too, no, you don't get points for that. You're too late. You're too late. I get, no. Too early. You guys need to work on your timing. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say it, but I am going to say again. Okay, so the word is actually inside of us and dwelling in us, right? And so that, no, <laughs> wait, he is living inside of us. And the job is no longer that we have to attain what the word is because we're perfect in Jesus, right? We are the righteousness of Christ. Okay, thank you. And so, in reality, is that we don't have to work and try to earn and perform what the Word has already said that we own. We just have to remove the lies and the hindrances that keep us from releasing what He already put inside of us. That, so, that... Thank you. You got... When I learned this, I was like, you mean to tell me what... I've been doing what with my life? <laughs> you mean to tell me what? I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys realize, like, I'm not, I'm not even that old, but I'm just saying, I'm like, I've lived most of, most of my life with the perspective of when I read the Word, I'm like, Lord, how do I get that? And I need to pray more, and I need to fast more, and I need to do all this stuff. But what if, and I'm like, you mean it's already in me? It's already there? It's, I've already owned it? It's just, I have, I just keep believing lies or things that tie me down so I can't release it? I, re I hear these guys and these amazing preachers and speakers and they're like, yeah, I fasted for 40 days and this thing happened. And I'm like, now obviously, let me make a definition. It says that when we pray in tongues and in the spirit, we build up our spirit man. So there is a certain aspect of prayer that we need because we actually our spirit has size. And it's not because we're public or because everybody knows us on Facebook. It's actually our spiritual size. And you can have different sizes because it says, build up your spirit man. That means your spirit man cannot be built up and you can have weak spirit man. That's just what the word says. Okay, so make that definition. I'm not speaking out against that stuff, but we're going to focus on one thing. So with the aspect of, I hear these guys and they're like, oh, I prayed and I did all this stuff. And then I finally got this breakthrough. And I, had, I think in the other night I was walking and praying and I said, Lord, is all of their praying and all of their fasting and all of their studying that looks like they finally attained something just finally sifting out the crap that was keeping them from it? They, they were sitting here going, oh, I prayed so much and I studied so much and I did all this stuff. And you're like, I can never do that. I will starve to death, you know? But like, <laughs> you know? 
And I suddenly realized, what if it was not that they finally worked themselves into it, but there's an aspect of building up your spirit, man, right? But what if it was that they fi- it took them 40 days of fasting for God to finally go, that lie isn't true, and they finally let go of it, and they got the truth, and that's what released them into the power. Thank you. Right? So that is actually so, and our reality is, that is, and it all made sense, finally. I was like, oh, wow. So that is where when, when we think through our life, we need to look through our life and we need to go, what lies have I believed? Because that's what holds back God in my life, right? I've got to get the lies out of me. What, you know, it doesn't matter. As you go through life, things happen to you, whatever. And you go, well, this is, you know, because of this situation, you know, you know whatever. God, you know, God doesn't heal people or whatever like that, right? Let's take something simple like that. God doesn't heal because this person didn't get healed, right? And so a situation happened to me. A lie came to me. I believed that lie and it became my truth, right? That's, you talk to so many people that a, a painful event became, uh, accepted a lie and it becomes their truth. Not only is it just, they're just believing a lie, it actually becomes the perspective that they look at life with and it's, it messes up everything. For example... A very, very, uh, let's just do a real basic example. There's a guy, I know we're going to call him Bob. We're just going to call him Bob, okay? So, and I think we all know a Bob in our life, probably. His Bob is not really a Christian, but he calls himself a Christian. And when you talk to him about it, you know, he used to go to a church and then they were kind of religious and he was never accepted in that church and he never felt loved there and never felt good enough. And so now he's burnt or whatever and he leaves. And, but he's a Christian, right? But if you ask him to go to church, you know, he'll say some saying that we've all heard, oh, you know, lightning will strike me or the place will catch on fire or whatever, right? And you, and you can tell that person as much as you want, no, we'll accept you, no, we want you, or whatever, all this stuff. But in reality, what happened to him was he went to that church and he got hurt by the people there and that pain opened him up for a lie and that lie he accepted and that lie is now his truth. Anywhere you find pain in your life, you will find a lie tied to it. Jesus is the healer, spirit, soul, and body. There's nothing he cannot heal. So if you still have pain of a memory on something in your past, then that means you have believed a lie and Jesus has not spoken his truth towards it. That is how we have to look at our lives. So at any moment that we go, we feel that pain rise up in us. It's like, oh, I got this pain. We don't run from it. We go, wait a minute. Jesus hasn't touched that. And there must be a lie there. And so find the lie, ask God for the truth, get healed. Right? Because here's the thing. It, call, it says that we are the light of the world right? And we are salt and light. That means Jesus created us with the purpose to emanate, no, not emanate, emit whatever is inside of us. We're salt. We literally leach out everywhere. It's a good thing. We're preservative, right? And we're light. We literally shine. That means whatever is inside of us is going to come out. So if there's lies, hurts, and ugly stuff, it's going to come out too. You are literally a walking sprinkler everywhere you go. So if you got crap inside you, guess what? It's on everybody else or you're around. 
And that is why we need to ask Holy Spirit, dude, what are the hindrances and the lies that I have accepted through all the experiences of my life that keep me from releasing the true expression of Jesus? We've got to find lies. We have got to be able to accept them. Uh, We've got to be able to look at them because when we get rid of the lies, that's how Jesus gets released, right? It's just, it's not about attaining it anymore. It's about just getting rid of the crap that keeps him from release coming out of us. And I'll tell you something, that's a heck of a lot easier than the other option. If you live your whole life trying to attain all that Jesus was, you'll never make it. But if all you have to do is get rid of your crap and your lies, that's not too bad. I can do that. I mean, it's just, I just, you know, I can do that. So, with that perspective, now that we've got the idea of, okay, let's just get rid of this stuff. I, I want to talk a little bit about freeing the prophetic and freeing prof- prophets, right? So, in Ephesians, Paul says, all right, there's, there's a five-fold ministry, okay? There's apostles, there's prophets, there's teachers, there's evangelists, and there's pastors. And, and so we've been focusing kind of on, uh, uh, on prophets and how they function and how they work. And here's the thing about prophets. And I, le- I learned this recently. Um, Michael Maiden has a really cool teaching about this. Helped me understand a lot. Is that, here's the thing about prophets. And if you don't know prophets, you probably know a person who's probably supposed to be a prophet and you'll understand it. Is that, and this made a lot of sense to me. He kind of talked about it. Um, this is the thing about prophetic people. <laughs> this will make sense. Prophetic people are like people with big ears. They're made to hear, right? And prophetic people are like radar dishes. They catch everything. Right? They catch everything. They are created to be sensitive to Holy Spirit. So they've got to catch it. They've got to be sensitive. They've got to be the radar dish of Holy Spirit. They're a Holy Spirit radar dish. And they're sensitive. But you know what that means? That means because they're sensitive and they're this radar dish, they, they experience things more profoundly. And I'll tell you, whenever I talk to the prophets, they're like, you know, and, and we, this is a joke with all of us, and I know what uh, all the people, I know. This is a joke with all of us, right? You know, prophets are like walking down the street, and they saw like a blue bird. And they're like, oh, it's like, you know, grace, and oh, he's speaking to me. And I'm like, you saw a freaking bird. <laughs> right? I'm like, I don't care. There's birds everywhere. Right? For me, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, if you haven't figured that out. But so prophetic people are like, oh, I saw this blue bird, and then this person had like, you know, green tennis shoes, and it was amazing, and my day is great. And I'm like, what? They're like, he's speaking to me. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But so there are these big radar dishes, and they experience life more profoundly. So for them, for me, it's tennis shoes. For them, it's a message from God, right? And so they're actually taking in more and their dishes are catching more and the Holy Spirit's doing that stuff. That's their purpose and that's a good thing. But the problem is 
they can ex- that when they experience pain and hurt, they're gonna, they can feel it more profoundly than some others. Because they're so sensitive. Michael Maiden, he makes the statement, he says, if we don't know how to deal with that pain that, that the prophets feel, that it's often more profoundly, it will destroy your prophetic gifting. And there is nothing, well, I'm going to make this statement, but I think it's for all of them. There's nothing more destructive than a hurt prophet. They're very destructive. Hurt prophets are not good. But, you know, to be completely honest, hurt teachers are really destructive too. Hurt pastors are really destructive too. You know, hurt evangelists are really destructive. <laughs> you know, apostles, it's really dangerous. They, get, it, they can use that stuff wrong. It's just bad all the way around, right? We just, we need, and that's the sanctification that Jesus, uh, that Paul's saying, you guys need to be sanctified because that stuff doesn't need to be in you. That's your old man. He's dead. He's gone. Get rid of that crap, right? And he's like, I just want to, I've got to sanctify you. I've got to renew your mind. I've got to teach you new things. I've got to get rid of those lies. But the problem is, like I said, wherever you find pain, you'll find a lie. And so with prophets, they're just so sensitive and that the pain that they experience can be more profound than others. And then when they accept those lies, it's just like any other person. It's very destructive. And that's why I think that's, I know it is for me, so if it was good for me, it would be good for others. If the understanding that for our prophetic people of going, they, they, they experience life differently. That, make, that makes so much sense to me now, right? So, because of Jesus, only because it, only those who know me truly ex- are uh, so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they're so happy. All the prophets in my life just really appreciate the journey that I'm on with the Lord. Thank the Lord. Yeah, yeah, I can really I can really find love for your emotions and your feelings. Really good. Being sarcastic. If you didn't get that. So, all right. Now that we got that, let let okay, I want to hit something. You know what? Let's just read the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Think about this. It says, uh, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are uh, diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all of it. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given for each one for profit for all. So look at that. There's diversity, and there's differences, and there's different activities. So you've got a variety of gifts, and they have different ministries, and they have different activities. Right? See those three? Here's the deal. We need to understand that there is great variety in the prophetic of how it is expressed. That not every prophet is going to look the same, not every prophetic person. I'm not just talking about prophets right now, okay? But not every prophetic person is going to look the same. Because look at there. 
If we try to say, this is what a prophetic person does, we don't understand that there, there's different, there, there's the, there's, uh, di- there's, they're so diverse, there's different kinds, and then they have different ministries, and then they have different activities. So how could we ever have one that does the same? For example, let's think about introverts. Introvert prophets. If our example and perspective is you've got to get up in front of a crowd of people and you have to call people out or prophesy to them, that's not going to work for a prophet who's an introvert. But you know what I've even seen and have experienced? If you put them in a room with about five, six, eight people on some couches, they can prophesy to every single person. Right? And it's amazing. And they can do it for like 30 minutes and they're just like getting downloads. But they but it's so different for them. If we say that this is all that you have to do, we're gonna cut out half of the people. And there's different and there's diversities of gifts. And so here for some people, and I've seen this done, but as I learned more about it, I was like, man, we need more of this. We need so much more of this is that planned out, planned out prophecies, or maybe written down ones. As an introvert, and uh, Graham Cook has an amazing teaching on this. I love Graham Cook. And he was talking about that. He gives this example. He says, guys, he's like, a lot, he says, I know a lot of prophets, they only write down their words, and they just give them to people. Here, here's the word. He said, and, and he's like, I know some prophets or prophetic people, they, get, they, they sit down with the Lord that morning, they write down words, and they walk out on the street and go, who am I supposed to give it to? Right? It's still the prophetic ministry, but it has different gifts and different activities and different ministries. As introverts, it, it, it can be expressed differently, but it's just as powerful. So... Um, and, and, I, and Graham Cook, I love his, he, he works with different prophets and he helps them and he walks with them. With, so he gave some examples and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. He's like, I know one prophet. He says, he only prophesies to 13 and under. That's his only people. He says, as soon as you hit, well, actually, as soon as you hit 13, you're off his radar. He says, he goes to churches and he, boom, he's prophesying over like 50 kids. And they're like, oh, there's one more kid here. And he goes, how old are you? He's like, I'm 13. Sorry, you're off my radar. (laughs) Because that's his ministry. He says he knows one guy that his entire ministry is prophesying to the elderly in elderly homes and helping with dementia. That he can release a word to dementia and stop it. That's his ministry. Right? Because that's what God has him focusing on. We need diversity. And we need health in this. So there's this story. This is from a different guy, Dano McCollum. D- Dan McCollum or whatever. His full name is Dano. I don't know. Anyways, he, he tells this story, and I really love this. This is the importance of... He, he's a prophet, and you know he prays for people and does stuff like this. And he had a... His son was 11 years old at the time, okay? So his son's 11 years old. 
he has this whole experience of God tells him, all right, um, it, like, it's a school night, and it's getting late, and the Lord tells him, I want you to take your son and go to a movie. And he was like, uh, okay. So he walks into this kid's room, and he's like, hey, you want to go see a movie? He's like, heck yeah, I want to see a movie. Even though it's on a school night, he's like, oh, God. They go, it's like 10 o'clock, they go watch this movie, and it's a whole other story of that the movie spoke to him, and it, God started downloading stuff, and so he's getting all this stuff, and he's thinking, I wonder what my 11-year-old son is thinking and stuff. And he's like, golly. So he sits down, and he starts to explain to his son, well, okay, so I don't know, he's like, have you got anything from that? But, you know, sometimes God has to teach us things and all sorts of stuff, and he goes, yeah, yeah, Dad, I, I know, I know. And he's like, what do you mean you know? He's like, I know what, you, I know what you're talking about, the... the how angels and demons and stuff work. And he was like, how do you, what do you mean you know? He goes, well, he says, I, oh, I see them all the time. And he was like, okay. He was like, tell me about them. And he says, well, a spirit of uh, divination has three arms and he's got one big claw and he likes to stab it into people and hang on to them and he's like whoa he's like and then this spirit looks like this and he starts breaking them all down how they all look and how they act and everything and he's going and he was like okay so do you see angels oh yeah i see them and they look like this and so he's breaking it all down talking about this and he's going this is crazy my kid's like an extreme seer here so what happens is He's in the middle of a meeting and he's going down a line and he's praying for people. And this person will get powerfully touched and this person gets healed and this stuff goes on. And then he'll get to one person and nothing's happening. And his son's walking with him because he's like, he just kind of wants to try these things out. And he's like, nothing happens. And he's like, he's like, I thought I'd try something. And I said, I looked at my son and go, what do you see? Well, they've got handcuffs on. And he goes, handcuffs he's like yeah they got handcuffs on dad what do i do you break them dad (laughs) and he goes okay and so he's like ask the person close your eyes because he's like i didn't want to look weird he's like close your eyes and he goes yeah and he breaks them and then the person just goes oh my gosh and they get like totally they have a powerful encounter and he was like huh so he goes down the line and he's praying for people and another person just kind of doesn't get touched. And he goes, looks to his son, okay, what do you see? And, uh, oh, I was trying to remember what it was. I think they had a, uh, uh, something on their head. There was something on their head. He could see it. And he was like, oh, there's this thing on their head and stuff like that. And he goes, well, what do I do? And he says, well, you take it off. <laughs> and so, close your eyes. And he like, ah, takes it off, you know, and, and, and then the person, I don't remember, gets touched and stuff like that, and they, they weren't, learned to work in unison, and, the, and Dano, he was talking about that, and he goes, you know what I learned? He says, is we need each other's gifts. He says, I have the gifting and anointing to make these things happen, but I needed to see what was going on, right? And so he goes, we need each other's gifts, we need to learn to function like this, where we value each other and we value each other's diversities and differences. Last thing, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up with this kind of last story. Last thing is, 
I just, I like telling these stories because it kind of broadens our uh, view of things. Uh, this is from the same guy, Dano. I was just listening to this today. I might share this on Facebook because it is unbelievable. But they have, they now have a whole ministry and they call them people finders. And this is, and so here's a cool thing. He says, I first learned about this and I thought this is crazy. He's going through and he's studying the saints. And back in the fourth century, Saint Nick, and that is the Saint Nick you're thinking about, Santa Claus. Did you know, I did not know this about Santa Claus, but <laughs> Saint Nick is known for his, um, his charity to people and stuff like that, and also for his help in child trafficking. That's actually why he's a saint, because he was so generous that if slaves couldn't be, uh, because of, he would pay off slaves' debt so that they could be free and stuff. And so he was very generous. But you know what also happened? In the city they were in, or actually in this whole region, there was a big problem with child trafficking, basically. And he had a prophetic dream one night, and he saw in his dream that they were smuggling the kids out in pickle barrels. And so he woke up, and he told the authorities, and they went to the pickle factory, and sure enough, they caught them. They were smuggling the kids out in pickle factories, and it shut down the whole child trafficking in that area. And that's actually one of the reasons he's a saint. So, which that's a really cool story. Fourth century. A little bit before time. Anyways, yeah, the Spirit's been moving all through history. It's just that the uh, people who wrote the books uh, like to leave out a lot of the spiritual stuff. So anyways, so Dano gets the idea. He goes, wait a minute. If Santa Claus can do it, why can't I? <laughs> so this is what they did. And I, I like this story because I think this can uh, widen our range of what the prophetic is. He goes to the National Missing Child's website or whatever, right? And for their area. And he downloads 10 posters of missing children. Okay? And some of them have stories of how they, like, how they got lost or, or last thing that they were seen and all stuff like that. But he just, he got 10 different teams and he just gave them a picture of the child. He did not tell them any of the story or anything. He's the only one that knew the story. And he got 10 prophetic teams and he says, y'all pray and see if you can find these kids. See if the Lord will speak to you. And out of 10 teams, one team got the make and model of the car correct and uh, the name of one of the persons. So they got, they got them, because he didn't tell them this stuff, but they got a make and model. They got the make, model, and color of the car, and they got a name of one of the persons that they think is involved. And so he goes, okay. So he goes to that team again, and he goes, I want you to pray some more. I want to ask. And they get an image of, and it's this girl, and it's been, and he says, and this particular one, had been missing for two and a half years. They say between 24 and 48 hours is your best chances. After that, they're probably not alive or it's not possible to find them. Two and a half years, this person has been gone. So they go and they, go, they pray and they say, 
we see a we see a uh, oh, I'm trying to remember on this one which they see they saw a greenhouse the street starts with J and the girl is inside the house tied up and they so they go to the police and they notify him and they say we got a tip <laughs> and they there was a police officer uh, in their um, in their uh, church that they notified that kind of does that and sure enough they found it in their in in the city on I think it was Jameson Street and they found a greenhouse and they checked it out and sure enough she was in there and she was found which was and so after that it all kind of blew up because that was a big word they were like what is going on so that officer actually came to them and said okay, you got to teach me how to do this because I've got, he's, I can't remember, he, he's like, I've got, I do all these cases of trying to find lost kids and stuff like that. And they, they actually started, begin, they began an entire ministry and now it is so big that other ministries around the world are doing the same thing. They've got one person on their team that gets longitude and latitude coordinates for people. <laughs> they get exact directions but they, they learned, they learned. He said, I don't want to know your whole story of how you got it. I don't want to know any of these details. I need details that'll help me. I need actionable details. I need colors, coordinates, numbers, names, all this stuff. And they have extreme success rate. They've honed it in. And they'll usually have about three separate, at least two groups, maybe three, but they'll have two groups and they'll both be assigned the same problem and um, so that they have multiple voices coming in and multiple things and whichever one starts and more accurate they go with that one and they start giving that and that guy got promoted and they have they're working with other people but that is their whole ministry is finding people they don't and so they don't have a clue what they're praying about but the Lord is speaking to them and I just wanted to tell that story because that is just a glimpse into the variety, right? The verse, there are diversity of gifts. They have different ministries and they have different activities. So if all we say the prophetic and prophets can do is give words to people standing on a stage, we have shut down and we've put Holy Spirit in a box. He wants to prophesy in written words. He wants to prophesy to people speaking to them. He wants to have all different. He wants to have words of knowledge so that we can find people. That we can. There, there's. If we ever limit him, then we have limited the prophetic. And here's the deal. The reason I was talking about freedom earlier is because the prophetic in the new covenant has been set free. And I think we are so free that we don't fully understand what we're capable of. But in the new covenant, he's saying whatever is beneficial and edifying, that's what it's for. And so this is, this is what God's calling us into, is that we would not put boundaries, we would not put boxes on it. We would say, what do you want us to do? And these stories are just, and, and we need each other's gifts. And I think that was, a, that, seemed, that was very powerful for me, is that realizing, just like his son, that could see things that he couldn't see, and when they work together, see, God means for us to be 
to always stay in community together. He reserves gifts for others so that we will work with them. He keeps us healthy and empowered by being in community. Because when we join with the other gifts, we fulfill the fullness of Christ. And when we join with other people, they can show our crap to us and we can stay healthy and not believe lies. So, there's a lot there. Ooh, that was loud. There's a lot there. There's a lot of information. Take it as you will. But I believe that that's just a, a brief highlight of some of the things that God's calling us into.